Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Good morning. morning. Happy belated New Year for those of you who just joined us and we missed you last week. We're so glad you're here. Those of you new here at Crosspoint, welcome. Uh, So glad you could be with us. My name is Rob and I'd love to meet you after the gathering this morning just to say hello. Um, Before I get into the message this morning, I just want to uh, talk to you very quickly. This is for the Crosspoint family, the Crosspoint community. Uh, As many of you know, we are in a uh, pledge drive uh, for the possibility of creating a space for uh, our ministry center in northeast Edmonton, so this part of the city, and uh, we've been raising support for that, and we've been talking to you about that, so I'm I'm not going to try and unpack all of this. Bottom line is we want to create a mission outpost for the gospel in northeast Edmonton, and this is our chance to do that. Uh, For those of you who've gotten your pledges in, Thank you so much. That's awesome because that gives us an idea of where we're at and where we're going. I, I do want to say to to the rest of us, uh, if you haven't got your pledge in, could you please uh, get your pledge in to us within uh, within this week? Uh, if if you're, it's your intention to support us in this initiative and you want to lean in with us, uh, the reason why is uh, we've we've heard from our landlord and he is getting some. Uh, pressure, good pressure from his financial institution, saying that uh, I got you got to. Uh, lease out all these spaces in your building, which makes sense because he's borrowing money to do that. Um, and so therefore, because of that, he needs a lease agreement from us if we're going to do this thing. Uh, otherwise, he's going to make our space available to other parties. Um, and he, he just kind of has to do that. He's a little bit between a rock and a hard place. And fully understand, fully support uh, what, what's happening in his world. And so because of that, we're saying, hey, uh, maybe it's time to do a pledge call and say, can you get your pledges in to us? And I know in the last three or four days, we've had a lot coming in, and that's been fantastic. So um, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, and you're part of the Crosspoint community, uh, we would love to sit down and just say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. Um, If you maybe don't have a pledge pack or you lost your pledge pack, we have extra copies at the back. You can also go to our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca, thecrosspointchurch.ca, one word, no E in point, uh, thecrosspointchurch.ca slash pledge. And you can, you can actually complete it online. So it's really easy for you to do that. We've made it available, accessible to you in this digital age so that uh, you can fill that in and complete it. So anyway, help us with this. We would love to be able to uh, know that we have enough information so that we can have a congregational meeting as a church family and, and make this decision together in community. So thanks in advance for for leaning in with us on this. Okay, Uh, I bet you're wondering about this video, especially if you weren't here last week. Let me encourage you to please go online and listen to last week's podcast because it's going to make a lot of sense about what we're talking about today. But let me just say this. Uh, We are in a uh, new series. We're in the second week of a series called Redemptive Echo. And each week in this series, so for the next three weeks, we are going to be exploring a popular contemporary song that's out there, what we would call a cultural artifact that's out there in our society today. And um, it's not because we're trying to be cool, okay? It's not trying to, make, we're trying to be hip, but we're trying to learn something. We're trying to discover something from each one of these songs. And uh, it's enough to say that I think that as we listen to these songs, we will discover something about ourselves, and we'll also discover something about God. And that's the reason why we're, we're looking at these songs together. Now, 
today to, to get things kicked off, uh, I want to tell you Mandy's story. Let me tell you a little bit about Mandy. Now, Mandy was 24 years old. She was a senior in college. She was in her final uh, semester. Uh, she was a good student. She had her future in front of her um, and great grades. And she was looking forward to the kind of the next step in her life journey after college. And one night, Mandy was out with a group of her fellow classmates, kind of a group friend thing. And she saw Justin for the first time. She'd never met Justin before, but he just kind of walked into the friend group. And she liked Justin. She liked the way he smiled. She liked kind of his calm and confident demeanor. He smelled good. In that moment, sparks kind of flew, right? But she had a quick conversation with him, but didn't really say anything. And that was the end of the night. And then she always wondered, I wonder if I'll ever bump into Justin again. Turns out, the next group friend meeting and the next one, Justin was there. He was part of the group. And she kind of quietly talked to him every once in a while. But she never really knew what Justin felt about her. And then, you know, after weeks of inner torment, a girlfriend kind of let on to her that Justin had been asking about her as well. And it wasn't very long before they started spending time together, you know, coffee study dates, exchanging texts. And uh, after a while, sometimes they'd even hold hands. I mean, they, they started to connect. They were, they were Twitter-pated. They were smitten. They were in deep smit. And the thing, though, is, is it, was, it was kind of a relationship, but it was a little bit confusing because everything just kind of seemed to be in slow motion. It seemed like they were stuck in this zone, the zone somewhere between the friend zone and it actually being a thing, right? So she was starting to get confused. And so one day she just point blank talked to Justin and said, Justin, listen to this. We need to talk. What is this thing? What is us? Where, where is this relationship going, buddy? And so after a moment of awkward silence, Justin said to her, he said, well, I, I wanted to talk to you about this as well, because I was hoping that we could take our relationship to the next level. And she said, well, what does that mean? What, 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 unpack that for me. Share that with me. And he said, well, as he talked to her, he basically explained to her that he wanted to become more physically intimate with her. He wanted to deepen the relationship with her on a sexual level. And he said this. He says, listen, Mandy, I want to be closer to you. And for me, this seems like the only way that I can do that. And of course, she was hesitant at first. She didn't know what to make of this, where this was going. But she, she also knew that she wanted to be close to Justin, and she didn't want to lose him. And so slowly but assuredly, over time, they began to grow this physical, intimate relationship together. Now, the relationship continued this way for many months, but she kind of noticed after a number of months, things kind of started to change a little bit because the relationship seemed to be a lot more physical and a lot less relational. There was a lot of activity, but there wasn't a lot of conversation. And so in the midst of all of that, she started to get confused. She started to have doubts, and she wondered, is this all there is, this relationship? I mean, and, and if I canceled the relationship or I canceled this physical activity, would he still care for me? Because was this all there was to their relationship? And, and the other thing she wondered is, where is this thing going? I mean, do we, we actually have a future together? Or is this like the end result of, of our relationship? But she was kind of tormented because she didn't want to bring it up because she was afraid as she brought it up, she might lose him and she, she wanted him to stay. Well, finally, she 
one day she, she just kind of had enough and she had the courage to talk to Justin about how she felt. And she said, Justin, I, I just want, I want more from our relationship. I, I want to know if you really, really love me. But more than that, I, I, want, I want security. I, I want permanence. I want to know that, that this is something that we're in this together forever. And then there was another moment of awkward silence. And Justin just said to her, he said, listen, babe, I, I don't think it's that simple. He said, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm ready for that kind of a commitment. I, I can't give you something that I'm not ready for. Of course, when she heard that, her heart sank. I mean, this wasn't the answer that she was looking for or hoping for. But she didn't want to lose him. And so they decided and they agreed that they were going to stay together. But, and for a while, it seemed to work out okay. But she was so confused and she, she had her doubts. And, and it kept going around and around inside of her heart. And finally, she said, I've got to have this conversation with him again. So she has a conversation with him again. And then it's, it's weeks later. And the same outcome. It seemed for her that this wasn't going to get resolved and the conversation just kept coming up again and again and again. It felt to her like she was just going around and around in circles. Now, Mandy is a fictional character. But I lost count of the number of times in my life that I have met a Mandy. And I share her story with you this morning because it's going to help us make sense of a very popular song that was performed by the artist Rihanna. And I think many of you may have heard this song, maybe in the public space, or maybe on your own radio, or maybe even in your own iTunes, okay, uh, or your Google Play list. But the song is called Stay. And I'm going to play about a minute and a half of this song. And as you hear the song, the lyrics are going to be on the screen, I want you to see if you can maybe identify with Mandy's story this morning. So let's just listen to this together. All along there was a fever A cold sweat, hot-headed believer I threw my hands in the air and said, show me
All right, so undeniably a very, a very moving song. Uh, and the actual, the other voice that you heard in the song was Mickey Echo. He's the actual composer of the song, but he also was able to perform in the song with Rihanna. Uh, so the song is, is, is very raw, it's very vulnerable, it's, it's brimming with, with heartache, and it's got these heart-tugging chords that are going on throughout it. And one of the themes of the song uh, that it touches on is this, this wrestle that each and every one of us has with intimacy. See, intimacy is, is something that most people so desperately want but sometimes the thing that we want to, the most is the thing that actually hurts us the most. And so we're, we're kind of left with this, in the song, we're left with this confusing relationship with human intimacy. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want, I want to use the song as a launching point for a conversation I want to have about intimacy. And I want to explore just this morning, very quickly, three ideas uh, that the Bible teaches us about human intimacy but I think perhaps as we go through those three ideas this morning, it's going to bring us full circle back to the song. And we're going to discover some clarity around this confusion that we have in our culture about human intimacy. And so we'll, we'll see as we walk through this together um, how this all, all ties together. So three concepts in Scripture about human intimacy. Let me start with the first one. The first one is just simply this. Is we were designed for intimacy. We were designed for intimacy. You know, often when we think of intimacy, we often just think of physical intimacy. But there are actually different degrees and there are different types of intimacy. For example, there's relationship intimacy. There's friendship intimacy. Uh, but the Bible teaches that the desire for intimacy that we have kind of hardwired into us is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, we were wired for it. Uh, the Bible says that God knit us together in our mother's womb. We were created to give and to receive intimacy. So our longing for intimacy, it actually finds itself in God's very nature. Uh, the Bible teaches that God, we were created in God's image, and God himself is community. So God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. God is this beautiful, mysterious, mind-boggling trinity. And yet God himself, in this relationship that he shares with himself, is perfect, intimate community existing for all eternity. That's just the nature of God is. God is community. God is intimacy. And so because we're created in the image of God, we ourselves are wired, hardwired for this type of connectivity, closeness, community, friendship. These are, these are, these are the things we were designed for. But what's really interesting is, is if you look at the life of Jesus and you study his life, you discover that Jesus himself had close, intimate community. Mark 3.14, I, I love this verse because it says that Jesus appointed 12 that he might be with them and that he might send them out to preach. So Jesus not only was creating this movement of these disciples to go out and to change the world, but Jesus was actually inviting them into community, inviting them to be with him in relationship, close, intimate proximity, this tight-knit community. And if you look at the story of Jesus even further, you also discover that from among these 12, Jesus had three closest friends. They were his cohort. James, Peter, and John. And if you look even closer into the story, from among those three, Jesus had one disciple that he was closest with, and that was John the Beloved. John was the one who, who leaned on Jesus during the Last summer, Supper. So Jesus models for us intimacy, community, connectivity. We were created for it, and God calls us towards it. 
Community is not a bad thing. It's, it's a good thing. Intimacy is a good gift hardwired into us and given to us from God. But here's the second thing. Um, the second concept that I, I think is really important this morning is that physical intimacy is the ultimate. Physical intimacy is the ultimate. See, the Bible also teaches that physical or sexual intimacy is the ultimate or highest form of intimacy that two people can share. Now, if you're at Crosspoint today, you're going to hear the word sex probably about 20 times in the next half hour, okay? Um, If you're uncomfortable with that, just realize that if you read through the Bible, every half hour you'll probably hear it about 20 times as well, okay? (laughs) Just just to calm the air around that. Um, We can talk about it because God talks about it, and we'll we'll discover why in just a minute. Um, And if you've been at Crosspoint for a number of years, you're like, yeah, we do this all the time, okay? Okay. Listen, the book of Genesis teaches that God created Adam. And when he looked on Adam, he saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone. And because of this, God created Eve, who came alongside of Adam. So God created Eve to replace isolation with intimacy. And you read the text, Adam and Eve were united in what have been the first marriage. Uh, you can read about that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 to 25. I think we're going to have it on the screen here. It says, uh, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So Genesis 2 creates this picture The end of perfect paradise, this final glimpse into a perfect world, you have two people, they are married, they are unclothed, they are unashamed, and they are completely intimate with each other. That's how the story ends before the fall. And this was was God's beautiful design between a man and a woman from the beginning of creation. Now, the question is, how then, Rob, how can, we, how can you say that physical intimacy is the ultimate kind of intimacy? How can we, how can we say that it's, it's the highest form of intimacy that we can share with another person? Well, let me just explain that. Um, in the Hebrew, in the original Bible, okay, in the, the original language in which the Old Testament was written, in the Hebrew, there is a very specific word that is dis- used to describe this physical union between a man and a woman, okay? Uh, that original word is yarach, Okay? Why don't we say that together? Yarach. Okay, you may have heard me say this before, but let me, let me say it again because it's really important. It's a word that is often translated to know, or uh, some newer translations will translate it lay with, or had relations with, or made love. Okay, so for example, Genesis 4, chapter 1 in the NIV, here's what it says. It says, Adam lay with, yarach, knew his wife Eve, and they became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. So, so Yadach, it describes this physical, sexual union between a man and his wife, okay? And I, and I, I know, I get it, totally. It doesn't roll off the tongue very well, right? Um, husbands, don't say to your wives tonight, hey, should we yach, okay? Um, let's Netflix and Yadach, okay? Um, Yadach describes, however, more than just physical activity. And this is really important. There is actually a spiritual side a spiritual component to this, okay? So this word is actually used elsewhere to describe a believer's relationship with his God. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. So Yadak involves more than just the mingling of bodies. Wrapped up in this concept of this personal physical intimacy is the mingling of souls. So God's design for for sexuality between a man and a woman, this highest level of intimacy, was that it would be a, an experience that is completely intimate, completely vulnerable, 
filled with trust, fearless, unafraid, selfless, where, where two people give themselves to each other fully, mind, body, and soul. That's the idea behind it by God's design. You know, I once read a great definition of intimacy. Intimacy means into me you see. That's intimacy. Now, the problem is that because of the destructive power of sin in the world, because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3, what happened when mankind turned their backs on God and, and sin came flooding in, we've distorted God's beautiful design. You know, it's very, very common for people in today's context to say this, to say something like this. I mean, hey, what's the big deal about sex? Right? I mean, I mean, it's just biology. It, it, it's just physical activity, flesh on flesh. It doesn't mean anything, really. So just, just explore it. Just, just have fun with it. As long as nobody gets hurt, what's the problem? What's the big deal? But you see, here's the thing. Is, is that in God's beautiful design, what God envisioned for it, what he intended it for, okay, there is, there's nothing casual or impersonal about it. The difficulty with the world's view of sexual intimacy isn't that it affirms sex too much. The difficulty with the world's view is that it actually affirms it too little. It minimizes, it underestimates its power, its value, and its beauty. We think too little of it. Have you ever stopped to think how confused our world has become around this issue of, of, of sexual intimacy. I mean, on the one hand, okay, think about it. We've, we've, we have the Me Too movement, and it's the Time's Up movements, okay? And, and they're gaining incredible popularity in the Twitterverse and beyond, and they should, right? I mean, who we shouldn't be living in a world where women are, are sexually exploited or harassed, okay? We, we, we need to do something about that. Yet, ironically, here's the thing, is, is on the other hand, on the other hand, the porn industry generates $13 billion per year in the United States alone. One in five searches on a mobile device in any given minute are for pornography. Not just for men, but for women. And yes, those people in those videos, in some way, and in many ways, are being exploited. Are we confused in our culture? about sexual intimacy. And yet, th this is why, this is why God says, I want to put some, some boundaries around this thing. God, God says, by design, this should be something that's done in a, in, a, in a beautiful, permanent, covenant relationship, in a marriage, because it is something so sacred, so special. It, it is something that should be shared in a lifelong relationship where there's trust and security and permanence. You know, it's what's also interesting is the research demonstrates that when there is permanence and security in a lifelong covenant, so, so where there's trust and there's love and there's permanence in the lifelong covenant, um, the physical intimacy at the end of the day is actually better because there's this trust, because security in a relationship creates trust, and where there's trust, it, it is actually better. So in other words, married couples are doing it better because they're doing it by design. Now, I, want, I just want to take a quick moment, and I want to point out a difference between a covenant relationship and a consumer relationship. 
And, and let me explain what I mean by that because I think it's really, really important this morning. See, in a consumer relationship, you have two parties. In a consumer relationship, you've got a customer and you've got a vendor. And customers typically stick with their vendors if they think that they can get a good product at a good price. That's how a consumer relationship works. Uh, so in a consumer relationship, you're always open to an upgrade. So my, my iPhone um, is, is starting to kind of malfunction on me. Um, I don't know if you've experienced this, but it, the battery life, something's wrong with the battery life. It, it happened with an upgrade. I'm suspicious. Okay. But uh, I, the battery life is not working on it. It doesn't charge for as long. It's starting to die. It's starting to glitch ever since I did this upgrade. And so I'm like, oh, I'm not happy with my product. And so what do I want to do is I want to upgrade to an iPhone 10, right? Which might be a thousand bucks. Okay. But I want to do it because as a consumer, I'm unhappy with the vendor. In, in, a, in a consumer relationship, the customer, the consumer has the power and any misstep from the vendor and, and you're kind of moving on to greener passage. So the needs of a vendor don't matter in a consumer relationship, right? Only the needs of the consumer matter. So that's a consumer relationship. But you see, a covenant relationship is much different. In a covenant relationship, you have a covenanter and you have a covenanter. It, it's not about one person adjusting to keep the other one happy. Because in a covenant relationship, it's not just about me, it's about the relationship we share. It goes, it goes beyond just my immediate needs. There's a, there's a mutual meeting of needs in a, culture, in a covenant relationship. So it's a very different type of relationship in a covenant together than in a, consum- in a consumer relationship. So this is why when, when uh, people get into a relationship, and one of the people in the relationship is a consumer, and the other person in the relationship is a covenanter, that things really start to fall apart. I mean, think about it. In, a, in, a, in that type of a relationship, who is the biggest loser? Is it the consumer or is it a covenanter? It's a con- covenanter, right? They're the biggest loser uh, because at the end of the day, they have to try and satisfy the needs of the person who's consuming. And the consumer offer, often exploits the covenanter in that type of relationship. Now, if you have two consumers coming together in a relationship, that's problematic. I mean, that, that relationship's going south in a hurry because in the end, nobody's happy and they continue to devour each other and the relationship falls apart. But when two covenanters come together in relationship, it is a recipe for greatness. That's what the Bible teaches. And the reason should be obvious. It's because there is security in a covenant relationship. If you're in a covenant relationship and, and you're both real about it and you're honest about it and you're both pursuing the same type of relationship, you can get rid of the facade. You can be open, open and honest about your insecurities, uh, your weaknesses, what you love, what you fear, because you've made a commitment in that relationship to stay together no matter what, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health so long as you both shall live. There's security in a covenant relationship. But in a consumer relationship, you oftentimes feel like you are marketing yourself. You're, you find that yourself, you're always trying to perform. You feel like you're caught up in an ongoing audition to keep the relationship going. Because you're afraid at the end of the day, you'll lose that person if you don't perform. And so round and around and around and around we go. Now, tell me now, tell me now, you know. So here's the third thing. Here's the third thing I'd like to say today that the Bible teaches us. Third one is our longing for intimacy is a pointer. Our longing for intimacy is a pointer. Could it be 
Could it be that our deepest longings for intimacy point us beyond all human relationships towards something or someone greater? I mean, think about this. I mean, we all have this desire for intimacy and this desire that we have within us. And we have many desires within us, but we have this desire for intimacy, right? And, it, and it's so strong. It's so great. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we never seem to be able to satisfy it. I've never met a single person on this planet that says, I am completely satisfied in all of my personal intimate relationships with other people. I've never met that person. Some of, you, some of you remember the movie Jerry Maguire. I realized with some of our younger millennials here, I might be dating myself, but I did test this out on my 18-year-old daughter, and she knew some of this. Okay, but some of you around here, you might remember the movie Jerry Maguire. Do you remember the famous uh, relationship catchphrase that emerged from the movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's help me, help you, right? You know that one, right? Show me the money, right? Okay. You had me at Hello. Okay, you know that one, right? Or, or the other one, uh, Jerry, do you know the human head weighs eight pounds? You remember that one? Okay. But no, that's not the one I'm talking about. The one I'm talking about is this. Here's the catchphrase. You complete me. Right? You complete me. Which also, actually also showed up in Austin Powers' movie several years later. Okay? <laughs> now, let me think. Let's think this through. Okay? I, I, I want to think through this statement. Okay? Because it sounds so amazing, and it's something everybody wants to hear, and it sounds so compelling and, and, and so romantic, right? Let's think this through. Is this really a fair thing to say to someone? I mean, can a, can a person truly satisfy all of your deepest inner longings, your unmet needs for intimacy? Or let's flip it on its head. Can you actually satisfy another person's needs, their deepest inner longings for meaning and for intimacy? Can you complete somebody else? I mean, if Karen and I don't say that to each other, right? we don't like, we don't do that. And the reason why is that is a burden too heavy for either of one of us to carry. There's no way. There's no way that she completes me and that I complete her. L love her to death. We're in this together till the end. Uh, we are tight, okay? We love each other, right? But she does not complete me. I'm pointing over here. Those of you who don't know, the worship leader this morning was my wife, okay? Just so in case you're new, okay? Uh, she, she doesn't complete me, and I, and, I, and I don't complete her. And that is a burden way, way too heavy for either one of us to carry. So why do we have this desire for connectedness, and yet it never seems to get satisfied? It's like an itch that's in the middle of your back that you can never reach, and you're always trying to scratch it, and nothing seems to get it. Let me again share a quote with you that I shared last week from C.S. Lewis. Here's what he said. He says, if I find in myself a desire for which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And, you know, the point Lewis was trying to make is that all of our deepest desires will never be fulfilled in this life, and nor should they be, because they actually point us to something or towards someone else. The author of Ecclesiastes writes this about God. He says, he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. 
By God's beautiful design, he has taken eternity and set it in, his, in your heart. He has set an eternal-sized need in the human heart, a God-sized longing and a thirst, and is so huge that nothing in this world can ever truly satisfy it. Now, I want to go back to Rihanna for just a minute, and I want to listen to just the bridge of her song. And with everything that I've, I've just talked about up at this point, up to this point, I want you to listen for what she's saying about this pointer, this need. This will only take about 20 seconds. Let's listen to the bridge. Ooh, the reason I hold on broken one, but I'm the only one who needed saving. Cause when you never see the light, it's hard to know which one of us is caving. It almost sounds like a worship chorus when you listen to it deeply. She's saying that there's, a, there's this hole inside of me that needs filling. This is why I'm staying in this dead-end relationship. There's this need that I have within me to see the light. And the irony is he's the broken one, but I feel like that I'm the one who needs to get rescued here. I'm the one who needs to be saved from this circle of events. Could it be that our deepest longings for intimacy point us to a need that no human relationship can satisfy? It brings to mind a story that we read about Jesus in John chapter 4. Jesus was, was passing through this region called Samaria. And it was the heat of the day. It was noon. It was when the sun beat down on your shoulders and your head like hot daggers. His disciples had gone into town to get some lunch. And Jesus sat beside the well just outside of the town. And as he sat there at noon, a Samaritan woman kind of scurried up to the well. She showed up. And as she was drawing water, Jesus said to her, would you give me a drink? And when she heard this, this completely shocked her for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. They didn't associate with Samaritans. Samaritans were their, their despised half-breed cousins who sold out uh, to their enemies and who intermarried with the Assyrians. So Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. But also rabbis, teachers, typically didn't talk to women. And so Jesus was breaking down some barriers here. He was crossing some cultural lines, creating some faux pas. And what's most puzzling about the story, though, is the fact that she showed up at noonday. Because the reality is nobody shows up at the well at noonday. It's the hottest part of the day. And gathering water is a lot of work. Typically what the women would do is they would gather at the well early in the morning. They would come together. And then they had the water to consume for the remainder of the day. And when they came to the well to, together, they could talk, they could connect, they could get caught up on the details of each other's lives. It was a great chance for community around the well in the early hours of the morning. So why was she there at noon? Something in this story was fishy, something wasn't right. And so when Jesus asked her for a drink, she asked him this question. She says, how can you ask me for a, for a drink? And, and here's where I'd like to pick up the story in John chapter 4. Let me, let me start reading from verse 10, and you can follow along as I read. Jesus answered her. He said, hey, listen, if, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
Well, what was Jesus saying here? He was, he was saying, listen, if you really knew who I was, <laughs> you wouldn't be surprised that I'm asking you these questions. You wouldn't be surprised that I have no problem whatsoever talking to you about this. But that's not the real issue at stake here. He says the real issue at stake here is the fact that you're actually thirsty, and I'm the only one who can quench your thirst. And so she's kind of taken aback by this. Right? She's, really? What's he, what's he saying here? So, so let's, let's look at how she responds. Verse 11, she says, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. I mean, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, father Jacob, who gave us the well and, and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Now, you, you don't really know what's going on in her mind here. Is, is she trying to change the subject? Is she confused about what she's saying? But it seems like she's one of those people who's a, a literalist, right? Like, like Drax the Destroyer from Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Takes everything literally, doesn't understand metaphors whatsoever. Like, nothing goes over my head, I would catch it. Okay, that's Drax, right? So, so she's either confused or she's skirting around a very sensitive topic here. Well, here's how Jesus responds. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. See, the thing about well water is well water will keep you coming back for more because the body's thirst can never be satisfied. You keep needing water. But Jesus was talking about a different type of thirst here. Jesus was talking about a soul's thirst. He's saying the water I will give you will satisfy a deeper eternal longing that nothing else in this world can satisfy. And it's not a well that you need to keep coming back for. Instead, it's a well that gets planted inside of you and it springs up. It bubbles up from within. And of course, what Jesus is referring to here is the gift of the Holy Spirit that comes to live inside of us when we put our faith and trust in Christ. But of course, at this point in the story, she doesn't know that because this is the early part of Jesus' story. And in the early part of Jesus' story, he hasn't revealed the conversation about the Holy Spirit yet. Now, this sounds to her, when she hears it, like this sounds like the deal of a lifetime. I mean, you've got to imagine the day in which they were living. There were no faucets or bathtubs or sinks in houses. If you wanted water, you carried a giant container, kilometers on your back to the well. You filled it up with water, and you carried it all the way home again. And you did this day after day after day. You didn't have the luxury of faucets and sinks. So what does she say? I mean, when she hears this deal of a lifetime, she's like, yeah. I mean, like, give me some of that. I want some of that. And then Jesus does the most unexpected thing you would think in this conversation. Let's pick it up in verse 16. He told her, you go and you call your husband back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've got five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Quite true. And it's at this point in the story that all the pieces kind of just start falling together in a moment. This is the moment in the story where you discover, okay, this why this girl was at the well alone at noonday. This is why she was so surprised that Jesus would even talk to her. And the reason is because she was an outcast. She was an outcast because of the choices that she had made. 
She had, she had ripped through multiple marriages. Now she was living with a man who wasn't even her husband. And this was almost unheard of because this was a highly monogamous culture, okay? You got married to one person and you did that for life. So she would have been scorned. I mean, she tried to come to the women's circle in the morning. That would be so painful and so hurtful for her to draw water in the early hours of the morning. And it's no wonder that she was showing up at noon. Now, you read the story and at face value, you think, oh, man, Jesus kind of crossed the line here, right? Because Jesus is getting into her business. And he, Jesus, though, of course, in the story, he's not trying to be cruel. And he's not trying to embarrass her. Instead, he's making a connection between her life situation and the living source. See, the reality is, is, is in her story, she was jumping from relationship to relationship, somehow hoping to satisfy the deepest longings for intimacy and meaning in her life. And time and time again, she would walk again and again to the well of relationships to draw water, only to discover that nothing there ever seemed to satisfy her deepest longings. She'd even try different wells. She'd go from well to well, only at the end of the day to come up empty, round and around and around and around she'd go. So hers was a broken search for what she ultimately needed. She, she was longing for living water. And so her explicit search for love, relationship, and intimacy betrayed and revealed an implicit search that she had for someone or something far greater than anything this world could ever offer her. And that's the point Jesus was trying to share with her. Now, in, in the next part of the story, Jesus reveals to her um, and, and we're not going to be able to get into the rest part of the story. But in the next part of the story, Jesus essentially reveals to her, I am the Messiah, right? I, I am Israel's rescuer. I'm the one who's come to fix everything, to save everybody, to right all wrongs, to rescue the world. I am the source of all life. And she was so impacted by that experience. She went back into town to her own village, and she started telling everybody about this guy, this, this one who had revealed everything about her life before her very eyes. And she began to ask this question to all the people in her village. She said, could he be, could he be the Messiah? Could he be this source of life for all of us? And of course, when the people in the town heard about this, they came out of the town over to Jesus and they began to investigate for themselves. And as the story goes, as they investigated and as they spent time with Jesus, they became convinced of who he was. He was, in fact, the savior of the world, the rescuer. Now, full circle, as we close today, I'd like for you to consider two questions. Here are the two questions for your consideration. The first question is, could it be? Maybe you're here today and, and you're not sure what to do with Jesus. I mean, maybe this is your first time in a church gathering. Maybe it's a friend brought you or you just sort of ended up here uh, this morning. Would you consider this question this morning, okay? Could it be that all of your deepest unsatisfied longings are a pointer? Could, could it be that, that they are pointing to someone or something far greater than anything this world can, can bring you? Could Jesus be what they're pointing towards for you? I mean, would you consider taking this courageous step today of just, just investigating further? Would you consider digging a little bit deeper, probing a little bit deeper, and wondering and saying, okay, I've heard this about Jesus. Why is that? Why do people think that? Could it be 
that Jesus is that pointer. Now, would you make that commitment today? Would you consider to maybe press a little bit deeper on that question? Because maybe that's what you're at today. Maybe that could be a good next step for you as, as you continue your spiritual journey. But let me, let me throw out another question this morning. The second question is this, is could it mean? Could it mean? Are you chasing something in your life right now? Something that you're looking into to satisfy your, your deepest longings for meaning and for value and even for intimacy. A surrogate savior, maybe some source that keeps running out. Something that's in, inside of you that you know you're chasing after, but you really know that you keep going back to the well and it's not satisfying you. It keeps running out. Something that, that can never satisfy and supply your endless thirst. I mean, it could be a person, it could be a job, it could be popularity, it could be power, it could be money. Have you been going back to that well again and again and again? Round and around and around and around you go. Could it mean that you need a redirect in your life? Maybe for you it could mean that you, you need to break that cycle and you, and you just need to begin again. Maybe for you today is the day that you say, I'm, I'm done with the merry-go-round. I want to get off because the world is spinning. Maybe it's time to stop carrying buckets and taking field trips. Maybe today's the day that you say, I'm going to tap into the source. Today is the day where I'm going to give over and allow God to fill me in my life. Is that what you need today? And, and if so, what would that look like for you today? And so our questions today as we end, could it be, could it be, that all your deepest unsatisfied longings were a pointer to Jesus? And would you investigate that further? And could it mean, could it mean that you're looking for something else to satisfy your deeping longings and, and you need to break the cycle, you need to get off the merry-go-round and begin pursuing what's really truly going to satisfy your soul? I'm going to invite the band to come uh, this morning. Why don't we pray together? I wonder just as we pray, if you would just have a moment of honesty between you and God. I think the starting point of that honesty is just to say, God, I, I am thirsty. I do have this hole in my heart, in my soul. I wonder if you could just acknowledge that to God this morning. And I wonder if this morning you could even just acknowledge and say, God, I... Um, I'm chasing these things um, as surrogate saviors, as pacifiers for, for real food. What would those be?
often do is when I find myself in that space, I, I, I say to God, I, I want to get off this merry-go-round. I want to stop going back to these wells. And I, and I, I repent and I ask for forgiveness. Repent means to turn away. Maybe in this moment, that's, that's you. That's what you need to do. I say, Lord, I repent and I turn away from this and I turn toward you. It's a decision of the heart. And finally, would you pray, Lord, fill me. Lord, by your spirit, would you be my source? Would you make me aware of your presence? Would you fill me with your love? Would, would I, I sense your nearness? Would you empower me? Would you satisfy me? Thank you, Lord, for your mercies that are new every morning. Thank you that you join us at the side of the well and you say, I have something better for you. Thank you that you redirect our thirst away from that and towards yourself. And Lord, we want to be a people who come to you and to turn to you for meaning and our ultimate needs in our hearts and in our lives. So fill us, Lord. Fill us to overflowing, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.